Welcome back to the second half of the Horror Pod Class Best of 2018. You can find all added information on our show notes page as we get ready for our first show of 2019. Sit back and enjoy the best of 2018. All right, we're back. We're not going to do the normal kind of introduction or any of that bullshit because we got work to do, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's working for the weekend, which is every day because it's Christmas break, motherfucker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, teachers actually kind of get the shaft because they get the Christmas break off. But you know what? Most most everybody else like kind of ha- just like has to go to work, but like you're not really doing a lot of work, right? Right. Like, I mean, I mean, like, like in, you get like an office job, you're like, whatever, you know. Unless you're a doctor, and then you're seeing everybody snot nose kids like mine, they're <laughs> like, oh, we got to get them to the doctor because yeah. yeah, then you're probably not doing a shit ton of work right now. So, pop on the podcast and let's talk about our favorite movies of the year. Yeah, or if you're working retail and you got to work <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that sucks. You know, man, when I was working, when I was working uh, uh, retail, it was kind of like, you man, if you show up on Christmas Eve, like, yeah, I'm gonna help you out, but like, I ain't gonna bend over backwards. You did this to yourself, right? You know? Right. You're gonna take what I give you at this point, <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Ugh. We both, we have both been there, though. I think everybody has to. Everybody should have to work retail, so you're not a fucking dirtbag to the people that work retail. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Of course, people people that wait tables probably say you should wait tables when you're when you're in high school. Just just so you know. But yeah, well, I married my wife worked uh, as a waitress for a couple of years, so she never lets me treat anybody poorly. So oh. he's he's the voice of reason. But I need it. I yeah. think I'm pretty nice to waiters and waitresses. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah, hey. well, you know what? You should you should be you should be you should be uh, you should treat everyone nicely, except for Mark Zuckerberg because he's an <laughs> asshole. All right, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about favorite movies. Uh, also, if I ever got Mark Zuckerberg as a waiter, that motherfucker is not getting a tip. <laughs> he's been tipped plenty by the Russians. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a tip, Mark. How about how about you don't sell my shit to the Russians, asshole? Yeah, yeah, you dick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All buddy. Right. So we're so we're talking favorite indie movies. I haven't got to see a lot of indie movies because I don't live in the United States. But you're so you're gonna have to take kind of the kind of the the lead for this one. Goddamn, that's a lot of pressure, man. I don't, I don't love that. You can do it. I have faith in you. Okay, so. A couple of things, a couple of caveats. So we put out a list. Uh, by the time this drops, it will have been last week. That has uh, the best movies of 2018. And the top two movies on that list are uh, Hereditary and The Quiet Place. And both of those are phenomenal movies. But we would call those big budget uh wide release studio movies they got traditional releases they were supported by big production houses they typically have the 
like well-known directors, you know? So I didn't include those on this list because if you're like, what's this hereditary movie that everybody's talking about? Um, then the fact that you're getting all of your advice from the horror pod class is probably the least of your problems. So, uh, yeah. So these are just movies that we think maybe have flown a little under the radar or you should totally check out. So that being said, uh, number five on my list is they remain. You've seen that one, right? Yeah, I have. What, what, what a great movie. I loved it. Um, it's not easy. I'm sure doing a, um, doing an ad, ad, adaptation of Laird Byrne, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one, one of the things you got to get right, is, and I think one of the things that he does so well is the uh, kind of being in nature, right? Yep. yep. And they do that They do that very well. What, what, what do you like about it so much? Um, I, I think it is remarkably subtle. And mm-hmm. when I interviewed Phil Gillott, last year at Panic Fest, which is where I saw this movie, we talked some about how phenomenal William Jackson Harper is as the lead. And he's so good in this movie. And that was before uh, my wife and I got super into the summer into his show, uh, not The Quiet Place, The Good Place. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, dude, that... That show is so awesome and the exact opposite of most horror. It like makes you feel good about humanity and like good about the state of things, you know, and he is hilarious in the show, but his performance in they remain makes it a good movie. If they don't cast him and if he's not believable and kind of charismatic, then the whole fucking movie is, is screwed. The whole movie doesn't work. So his performance and the, the you know, the, the shoulders that he uses to, to, you know, kind of bear the rest of the movie makes it worthwhile. The performances are really excellent. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I've kind of noticed about, about Laird Baron as I read, as I read more of his stuff, there's, there's a lot of um, kind of focus that's put on, you know, his, uh, his uh his, his use of alaska or the mm-hmm. wilderness and then there's also um there's there's a, there's a tendency of people to talk about his um kind of use of like kind of the noir trope of like kind of like the tough guy you know a lot of times there's a tough guy or whatever and kind of like a rough dude you know or whatever but uh one of the things that i have have been have been noticing in in almost every one of his stories and and in his novel, The Croning, which is awesome, and you ought to read it, um, is that you're presented with these characters that are um, sometimes at the beginning a little bit stereotypical, but then you learn more about them, and they they kind of change. And while a I, th- I think maybe uh, I think a lot of authors that I read, you know, go through either like okay, well here's a character. Here's what you know about them. Okay, then some stuff happens and they change. And this is how they changed. Okay. Or you can do like, well, here's a character, but then you learn something kind of secret about him. And then your whole way you look at him changes. When Laird Barron does it, it's like he completely creates this character. 
it's like he carves them out of uh, uh, you know out of a block of marble, right? And then after he's done, he kind of turns them a little bit, and you get to see him in a different way. And it just feels his characters feel so much more real because of it. I haven't figured out exactly what it is that he's doing, but it just his characters they don't feel like I, I get the um, the herpaderp, you know, the the oh, but you didn't know this about him. It just feels like they feel more real. I don't. know, Does that make any sense, or am I just talking out my ass? No, like I, I buy it. I I think. There is a level of nuance to Laird Barron's characters where they feel real. And they feel real because they're just schlubs. They're just like, <laughs> they're just fucking real people, you know? Like, I'm not a hero and I'm not a villain, you know? Most mm-hmm. of the time, I'm just trying to do the shit that will make me a little bit happier and avoid the shit that will make me a little bit sad, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and most of, of Laird, Laird Barron's characters are doing the same fucking thing, you know? And they just end up in these situations where they're, like, totally fucked, you know? And it's not because they're good people or not because they're bad people, but because they are normal people that find themselves in extraordinary situations. And the extraordinary is not usually a good type of extraordinary, you know? Yeah, if you if you wake up tomorrow and you're in a Laird Burn story, you're you're kind of fucked. oh yeah. yeah. Speaking totally. of speaking of, he's got a great uh, story in Ashes and Imp- in in Ashes and Entropy, and you ought to buy it. Uh, it's from uh, Nightscape Publishing. Next one, favorite movies. What else you got? I don't think I've I don't think I've watched any of these other ones. So well, you're a fucking asshole. I know. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I just, I, I can't 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 get them down here, man. It's okay. Uh so the next one is from IFC Midnight, and it's called Pie Wacket. Mm, Pie Wacket's a demon, right? Pie Wacket is a like a demon, like kind of this occult thing. But I reviewed it over the summer, and I really enjoyed the movie. Mostly because they treat their high school characters like they are like real people, as opposed to these like high school archetypes that are like, I don't know, stand-ins for something else. I Like, my big pet peeve is when big Hollywood movies especially treat high school students as if they are this, like, unknowable thing, right? Like, they're either so complex that they're unwilling to, like, paint them as, um, I, I don't know, uh, like... To, to give them a voice at all, or the only voice they give them is this kind of uh, preconceived idea of what they're supposed to be, which is often, like, incredibly self-absorbed and, you know, one-dimensional and whatever. Mm-hmm. The character, the main character in Piwacket is a real, like, a real kid that's dealing with real shit and handles it a lot of the way, if we had the capacity when we were in high school, would have probably handled it. And I have now been teaching for 15 years. That makes me feel a thousand years old when I say it like that. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. Go fuck yourself for that big surprise. But I, I think what is so incredibly striking is that there are a gazillion kids in high school that feel so isolated. And... The lead character in Piwacket feels isolated, man. And 
I feel for her. So, like, I, I, it was it was a great a great story, and I think really true to life. So, also scary AF. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, man. Uh, and I will tell you, IFC Midnight is doing tremendous goddamn shit. They had, uh, I, I could probably name you four or five, but Ghost Stories and Pie Wacket, I think, are tremendous features that were in the horror genre that were fan-freaking-tastic last year. So they are the group to watch this year as we head into 2019. They're investing their money wisely in people that make great movies. So look for mm-hmm. what IFC Midnight is producing. because They're doing fantastic stuff. So so was that a theater release? Did, were, was it like a um, straight to cable? What, do, do you know? Yeah, if it got an actual release, I think it was really, really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. Like, I saw it first VOD, and I, I, I don't think it had a big studio release, so... I'm gonna say hmm. it was it was strictly VOD. Huh. Yeah, man. If you like kind of the Blair Witchy quality, you'd like Pie Wacket. Is it sound footage? Mm-mm. Okay. No, man. As I'm looking through this list, not a single one of these movies is found footage. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm running away from my roots, Michael. Or yeah. maybe, or maybe found footage is dying off. That's super sad. I don't think found footage will, will ever die. It will just it will just turn into something else. It'll be found Facebook posts or something. I don't no, know. no, we talked about it last time, but uh, it'll be like found podcasts. That podcast Ooh. that Shutter put out is entirely found footage. That's exactly yeah. the yeah. Genre. Hmm. You know, someday twenty years from now, people are going to find the horror pod class and they're going to say, "Look, I found that." No, anyways. <laughs> um, so. It's it's terrifying. These fucking people recorded gazillions of these episodes, so uh, their six listeners could listen to it. Yeah, my, my my wife asked me the other day. She's like, "So, like, when you're eighty, are you, are you still gonna be doing this podcast?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I hope I'm dead by then. But if I if I'm still alive, probably still gonna be doing a podcast." Yeah, why not? It's not like you're gonna have shit else to do when you're eighty. Right, <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah, trying to poop. That'll that'll be about it. <laughs> oh, so speaking of horror, you've got uh, you've got something else here. Yeah, yeah. You got the endless. I I still have not I still have not been able to get a copy of the endless. Yeah. Um, why Why not? Can't you get VOD know, shit down there? Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can't. It's it's uh it's kind of hit hit or miss depending on whether or not uh, you know I, I've I've been fighting a guerrilla war with my VPN. It's a uh, it's 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 difficult sometimes. I understand. I get it. So it's uh, The Endless is the latest movie from uh, the duo of Benson and Moorhead. And the first film that they produced that I really enjoyed was Resolution. It maybe it has some found footage qualities about it, but it was made a while ago. But I saw this movie. The, what felt like the first day of spring, it was warm. I didn't need a jacket, so I kind of walked into this tiny little theater we have in Kansas City called the Screenland Tapcade, and I think I was one of like four or five people in the movie theater, and loved the movie 
for the familial relationship that was there. It's got a Lovecraftian vibe about it. It kind of connects the universe of all of their movies a little bit. Hmm. And I think balances the kind of heart elements with the terror elements, the kind of horror elements of, of the entire thing. And to this day, if I had to rank like favorite movie posters of everything, the movie poster of the endless is in freaking incredible. Like it is amazing. So if you like Cosmic Chord, this is your shit. And it's a cult movie too. I mean, it's a a movie movie that involves cults. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Love, I love cult stuff, man. I just yeah. love it. So imagine a cult surrounding uh, like a Lovecraftian or Cthulhu-like character. Sweet. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And an ass ton of ambiguity. So you're like, what the fuck? Through like 90% of the film. And that's, mm. that's exactly what it's like. And I, like one of the brothers is a fuck up. One of them is like normal and... Like, I, I don't know. As a father of two sons, they're, they're both too young to kind of tell at this point. But, you know, like, it seems like that is that is the role that the, you know, the siblings kind of fall into, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. At least brothers fall into it. At least that's what pop culture you're kind of led in to believe. But there is a great uh, interview with Benson and Moorhead in a podcast, and it, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on which one it is but they're like normal dudes they're just like making movies so the hardest part for them is to find the financing for it and so they make a movie like every five years when they can kind of get the financing and the endless is a scary movie hands down but you can feel it has every fiber of their being in it so go go buy it on vod it's there it's excellent and some and some awesome guys get uh, get your money instead of some big uh, you know Hollywood studio or Facebook that's just gonna fuck over your data. Yeah, <laughs> Benson and Moorhead are not going to sell your shit to the Russians. That's true. That's true. Probably not. I, don't I know. mean, I can't really speak for them, but I am relatively confident that they can't do that. Yeah, so. yeah, they'll probably just take your money and uh, make another movie. Yeah, which would be awesome yeah, if it's anything. Like the yep. endless, so yep. yeah, I'm totally down for that. Okay, my number two, it's a French film. It's called Revenge. Okay, French Next. film called Revenge. Have you seen this shit? I I, I have not, but uh, you're a terrible human being. I know, I know, but Google Translate says that uh, revenge in French is called is vengeance. Vin Vignance. Yeah, it's. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I call it a French film. It's, uh, <laughs> it's by a French director. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, the lead male characters are French, but probably the well, it it all takes place in the United States, and and um, the lead female actress, I believe, at least in the film, is American. So. Oh. But it has a distinct so half half French. Yeah, it's got a okay. distinctly French feel about it, and it is uh, very much in the subgenre of the 
rape revenge film. So like uh, Last House on the Left, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the, that kind of subgenre. Uh-huh. Except it's directed by a female director. So it doesn't have that kind of gross male gazy feel to the rape scene and then the subsequent revenge. It's just about a terrible thing that happens to this woman and then this woman fucking kicks some ass. And the last, I would say, 15, 20 minutes are gory as all get out. But it has one of the best payoffs of any movie that I've seen probably in the last, I don't know, decade. Like... You, you wanted to like jump out of your seat and be like, fuck yeah, man, you know, like, and it is like bloody and gory and like the long story short, there is a ton of like blood and gore on tile floor. So there's a lot of like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like flick feet and bodies and, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, what's going to uh, uh, and and just really done well. You know, like, uh, I, I don't know. And I'm I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, yeah, the more gore, the better. But I love when we have that and it is there for a specific reason. And it is absolutely there for a specific reason. So, yeah, you got to check hmm. it out. It is, wow. it is 100% available on Shudder. And uh, now would probably be a good time to tell everyone that they can get a full month if they enter horror pod class into the shutter promo code. So if they, yeah, go, I think, I think, you, I think you usually get one month free. And uh, if you put in signal as your promo code, you yep. get two months, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Sweet. So, and you can check out um, actually revenge and our next movie. You haven't seen that one either, have you? You no, 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 I haven't. No, I, I, dude, I can't, I can't, I can't watch scary movies like with my kids. We, we're, we're too too busy watching Thomas the Tank Engine. That's kind of a scary movie within itself. <laughs> it is, man. Those those faces, holy crap, dude! Actually, right. we don't watch we don't watch scary we don't watch Thomas the Tank Engine because it is too scary. We watch a lot of Paw Patrol and. <laughs> uh, Wolf. I don't know. They're, they're they're into this uh this one called Larvas. Have you seen Larvas? <laughs> no. Larvas Larvas are about two of these kind of caterpillar looking things. It's a it's a it's a <laughs> Korean it's a Korean animated show and it's basically it's 95% fart jokes. Oh, 95% okay. fart jokes and it's 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 pretty funny. So, I mean, I'm down for a good fart joke every now and then. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds like fun. okay. So, terrified, terrified is my number one, one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, first played at Fantastic Fest to rave reviews. One of our uh, writers, Nick McCracken, saw it at Fantastic Fest and was like, "Oh my gosh, you have to check it out." And he told me, and it's true. It has the most brutal kill of the year. And it happens in like the first 
10 minutes of the movie. And I was like, yeah, maybe Nick's overreacting and, you know, whatever. So I, I, when it came out on Shudder, I was totally there. I was totally down for it. Checked it out, and it's totally fucked up. I, I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is like maybe if, like, David Lynch or, uh, like, Toby Hooper maybe did Poltergeist. It is brutal and terrifying, and the monsters are, like, so scary. So beyond what you would think. And the premise alone, when Nick uh, called me, he called me from Fantastic Fest, he was like, we gotta gotta talk about some of the movies that we've seen. And I was like, yes, I'm always down for a conversation about scary movies. And he was like, terrified is the scariest thing I've seen. The premise is it's not a haunted house. It's a haunted neighborhood. (laughs) I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want more of that. Cause I live in a very traditional neighborhood here in Kansas city. And like, it's, it's a very close and tight knit and haunted. Yeah. Like you could totally see something like that happening and everybody would be impacted by it. You know? Like, wow. I serve on the Neighborhood um, Homes Association, and we had to, like, go house to house last Sunday and, like, judge everybody's lights because it's Christmas time. And, you know, like... What? Yeah, we gave, like, the winner, like, 100 bucks or some shit, whatever we did. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah, right? It was awesome. Uh, but, like, people take their shit really serious. They were like, let me show you this light. <laughs> it was like, what is this? It's because it's a neighborhood. And 5206 is competing against 5208, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, nuclear proliferation only with whimsical Christmas lights, you know? Oh. So, like, I am totally there for a conversation about how haunted neighborhoods are way more fucked up than a haunted house. Yeah. Hmm. yeah dude. So, uh, was this originally a Spanish Spanish language movie? Oh, it still is, yeah. Well, uh, in Argentina, is that Portuguese or is that Spanish? It's Spanish, yeah. Okay. I, I tell you what, man, in Latin America, I mean, horror is horror is a big deal, okay? It's not It's not like a kind of a kind of like side thing or it's not it's not like oh yeah well you know there's always kind of a scary movie out you know you you have 17 year old kids taking his girlfriend to you know go see it or whatever i mean it's like a legit like like everybody's like like, yeah we're gonna go see a scary movie yeah let's go do it it's 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 way different than the states i'll tell you that much so is it seen more of because like part of the stigma or the hurdle you have to overcome here in the states is it seen as like a young person's game so like i don't i know i don't i i don't i don't really think so i i I think i think it's i i i don't think it's it's seen as 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 more youthful or or not i i will tell you one thing though It, it seems like uh science fiction not so not so hot you know uh Latin America, from what I see, kind of, kind of, gives more more credence to, to horror than, uh, I mean, obviously like the big blockbuster, you know, like the Iron Man's and the, um, 
Avengers and like that kind of stuff. They're they're going to be a big deal. But you know when it comes to kind of kind of smaller movies or kind of more niche movies, uh, you're you're not going to find a whole lot of science fiction. You're going to find a whole lot of horror though, a whole lot. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally dig that. Hmm. All right. So hey, man. Now onto something that I actually do know something about. Now that we've got through the movies, we're going to talk about the best horror articles of the year. Which, yeah. I mean, I love. I love it when people are talking about horror. I love it when people are talking because I just love it. <laughs> I don't know. Are you crying? Like are are, are you crying about it over there? Jesus Christ! A little bit. A little bit. I'm having an, an emotional affair with my <laughs> uh, computer. I dig it. Hey. Yeah. All right. So. We have tried to synthesize things down into into the kind of like five or six articles that we thought really presented interesting ideas to the horror community. In no way, shape, or form is this limited to these articles, right? There was lots of great shit uh, produced this year, but these were kind of the striking ones uh, that I think uh, were the most important. So I, I don't know. At least the ones that stood out for me the most. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So the first one comes from Vulture, and it is, Horror is not what scares you. Okie dokie. And what Vulture aims to do in the article is discuss how Like, the horror community is less about, oh, this really terrifying thing, and more about this kind of collective, this kind of collective experience. So, their chief argument is that it's not really about what scares you, but more about this kind of prevailing sense of fear and like this shared experience of like cultural fear or, you know, uh, like existential dread or whatever it may be. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, and the kind of, uh, big examples they gave were hereditary, which we've kind of talked in great, great deal uh, about. But the other movie that didn't make the top five that we talked about, that I think both of us saw, was Annihilation. Okay. Did you see Annihilation? I did. I did, yeah. The longer I get from my initial view of that, the more I fucking love that movie. <laughs> man yeah man I, I i got to see it like uh uh two weeks after because it wasn't released um outside of the of the united states it was re- it was released on netflix instead mm. so i so i got i got it on netflix while it was still in the theaters in in the states um but yeah i mean so based on uh phenomenal novels by uh by jeff vandermeer uh and just yeah just 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 great movie Right, um, I, I can I can talk all day about 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 how how great it is. It, it it does have some like really scary kind of scenes in it, but I think you're right. I and I, and I think that there there is something about 
the collective fear of maybe the unknown, about maybe climate change, about <clears throat> about change kind of in general, about the way that maybe we have a limit to how much we can even possibly understand. Um I love I, I love Annihilation. I love there there's a there's an old it's a book and then there was a there was a, a it was a, it was originally in Russian then there was a movie that was originally in Russian too and then I think that there was a this terrible terrible George Clooney remake of it called Solaris. Have you ever heard oh, yeah. of this? I know Solaris. Yeah. yeah. So so the the idea that like maybe maybe when we like find an alien he's not like Spock, right? And he's not even like E.T., right? He isn't even, we might not even be able to pin it down as an it. We might not even know what it is, right? We might have no way of ever communicating with it. You know, like that kind of shit is really like super, super interesting to me. Um, So anyways, yeah, yeah, all that kind of horror stuff. What what, what sticks out after, you know, maybe, I don't know, like nine months after seeing it, what what sticks out to you about, about Annihilation? Um... So two things. I think it is the the idea that we spent the last 200 years thinking that we were the masters of our environment or, you know, the masters of nature or whatever, when, like, we totally fucking are not. You know? Mm, like, yeah, like there that, there yeah. is a hard limit to what we are a master of. Yeah. And two... The entire end scene of Annihilation, when she is clearly, you know, kind of uh, maybe maybe minor spoiler alert for the end of Annihilation. Like, I think there is probably a discussion about like depression or like losing someone or like the idea that we are our own worst enemy. I think is a really powerful message mm-hmm. right now. And I, you know, I've, I've got a number of students that kind of deal with those issues on a regular basis. Like that's some hard shit. Like yeah. I, I can teach a kid how to like get over almost any kind of uh, barrier, but that kind of mental barrier, that's a much tougher road to hoe. So yeah, it, it, it is really well done. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, I think so. I think the vulture article, yeah, it's not about what scares you, but it's about like creating that that sense of fear. One of the things that I in and you know you know you hate to like kind of label like different things or whatever, but I think I think that the really high quality um, cinema that is done uh, appeals to me because it's more like um, it's more like 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 literature right like like the the books and the short stories that i like to read where it's difficult in the written word to get a to get a, a true scare right yeah you you have to you have to use uh that underlying sense of fear and dread and then use that to make the reader basically scare themselves right but you're but you're never going to get a jump scare out of a book maybe I don't know. I can't think of any time I've ever been jump scared out of a book. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a literary, you know, uh, example of that. But yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's next on our list? 
What's next on our list? Well, I got one on here, and I think it is a just an excellent essay. A lot of people like to write about, you know, what is horror? Like, is this thing horror or is this thing not horror? Yeah. And what kind of what kind of like place do we want to put it? Like, what little niche do we want to put it in? Like, is it weird fiction? Is there such thing as literary horror? Like, that's really bizarro, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's also, you know, there's also like, well, you know, that thing isn't horror, right? Or this thing is horror. That thing was too good to be horror. There's all this, like, different kind of permutations about, about it. But rarely do you find an article where somebody tells you that you can use horror as a tool to do something. Okay. A psychiatrist who wrote under the pseudonym Dr. Raymond Thoss, um, who is a Dr. Raymond Thoss is a is a character in a uh, Thomas Ligotti short story. In the uh, so wrote an article called Notes on a Horror, and it is in the first uh, first issue of Vestarian, and it is fantastic because it talks about using horror and some of the concepts in modern horror, uh, particularly the works of Thomas Ligotti, as a as a tool in um, treatment of um, okay of like of like PTSD and of just other kind of kind of terrible kind of like life events, and it is really powerful. And I think it's super awesome that it was written by presumably an actual psychiatrist that had to write under a um, under a pseudonym because you know the APA you know is not cool with using Thomas Ligotti as, as treatment yeah. right yeah so. no I uh, I think that is a really fascinating and and not unrelated to what we were talking about with annihilation because there's a lot of like kind of clinical medical kind of establishment that goes along with that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think that's really, it's really great. And, and more to why that collection is so incredible. They're doing. Yeah. And, and, it, uh, and it, and it's, it's, it's fucking real powerful too, because this person's like, is like, this is, you know, this is, this is real. This is what, I, uh, you know, this is, these are the experiences that I have had. These are the experiences that others have had. And these are kind of some ways to like make bridges to them and to kind of, kind of connect with them. It's, it's really, it's really fantastic. And rarely do you, do you, do you find somebody that is, is, is talking about horror in a way that is, um, you know, uh, just like, like being used as a tool in somebody's job. It's fantastic. So, so go, go go pick up a copy of that. Interesting. It reminds me of an article, and I don't know where I. It was a. It was another. The Atlantic. No, yeah, right. I'm going to say the Atlantic, but it was actually yeah. another horror website that I was kind of perusing today. That was talking about. It. It was making the argument the new movie called like Welcome to Marwan. Or whatever that stars uh, Steve Carell mm-hmm. is really a horror novel because it's or a horror movie because it's about trauma and how we deal with it. And I thought the article was really interesting. Maybe it was from the Haunting.com. I don't know. We'll post the link for it when I find it. 
but the the article concept itself i thought is exactly what you're talking about which is the idea that we often have ideas of horror like as a fictional thing to stand in for non-fictional conceptions of violence or war or you know really awful terrible things right and it's that kind of separation that allows us to approach that topic and I have not seen Welcome to Marwan or whatever the name of that movie is, but as I understand it, like it's a stand-in, you know, like this guy's uh, fascination with dolls and creating this this fictional world enables him to grapple with the real-world impact of the actual violence that took place in his life. So I think maybe as we, with Signal Horizon, move into 2019 we'll spend maybe I would like to spend a little bit more time discussing that interrelationship between the real world shit that's going on and the fictional world that we lose ourselves in to try to deal with the real life shit that's going on, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a a ton of different um, ideas on like, like why we do that. Um, And if you're, interested in Thomas Ligotti's particular take on it, you can always read The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, where he, he kind of goes into a lot of his particular kind of feelings on on, on that uh, particular subject, and many more, of course. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it can be seen as like a way to like um, pre, um, like go through some stuff like already. Like, so for example, um, maybe you've never, maybe you've never experienced like a particular particular like bad event but by watching them in movies you can kind of like mentally prepare yourself for it you know i haven't died yet but if i but you know since a lot of our 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 cultural uh art and and movies and kind of and books everything are about death is that a way by me reading and watching these things is that a way of me getting ready for my my own death you know i don't know yeah i totally buy it yeah, I think that's interesting. So, 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 so smart. All right. We got something else that sounds smart. Yeah. And that is from The Guardian. Yeah. So, Horror snobbery has got to stop. Yeah. I think this one will be pretty quick and pretty fun. Uh, I think we're kind of running out of time anyway. So uh, the, Guardian act, the Guardian of all people make the argument that perhaps our criticism of horror has gone too far and that the, there is – that we should return to the, the the point where we have joy and just kind of the schlocky, gory uh, fun that is B-rated horror. And the big example they gave there was Overlord, which I adored. I dragged my wife to see it, who hates horror movies, and it is so fun. It's got Nazis in it. It's got zombies in it. It's got Nazi killer zombies in it. It's fucking mm. badass. So the Guardian's like, hey, man, chill out. Maybe sometimes horror is just about having a good time and being scared. And I'm totally down for what the Guardian is saying. Hmm. Plus, they link to an article from The Scotsman where they refer to the Overlord as a futile exercise in turd polishing. Yeah. Is, yeah. You know, leave, leave it up to a Scott to come up with like, it's a futile exercise in turd polishing. Yes. Lord. Also, uh, truth or dare as an execrable mess. Oh. Hmm. 
You'll learn yeah. a new word every day. Ex- execrable. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'll use that tomorrow in class. All right, man. And the last one we got, hey, kind of, kind of, kind of fits in with what we were talking about before. The New Yorker.com has got uh, mourning through horror. Yep. Which, uh, I think was a really good, really good article. You know, I like the New Yorker, except for the comics. Like, I never get them. Oh yeah, I never get them. And you know, and that, that's why I don't read more of the new of the of the New Yorker is because I run across the comics all the time, and it make they make me feel dumb, dude. They don't make me feel dumb. They, uh, I think they can be horrific. Like, I don't get it. They're, uh, <laughs> it's like. I I, just, I I understand it, they're written in English, but it's like <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, I suddenly have Alzheimer's or something, and those those words don't make any sense to me. It's it's like in the science fiction movie when when they when they show like the paradox to the to the artificial intelligence, and it's like so super smart, and it like looks at it, and it's like it does not compute, and then it's like head explodes or whatever. That's what I feel like. Like yeah. it just it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, terrible. So, Morning Through Horror uh, in the New Yorker is excellent. A great companion piece to that article would be our Babadook episode, where we kind of talk about the different phases of grief, because mm. uh, they feature the Babadook in that article quite a bit, and I think really get to what you and I were talking about in the episode, which is like, horror movies can be wonderful ways for people to... Uh, you know, deal with and synthesize their own grief. So, yeah, and yeah, exactly. If you want, if you want to, if you want to get the gist of that article without any of the New Yorker comics um, <laughs> messing with your brain, you can just listen to our horror podcast episode about it. Exactly. Although, although it was like the second episode, and I think our our audio quality was not quite as good, but whatever. True that, and we we also lead with uh, you painting a picture of a cat drawing on a chalkboard uh, and what it's drawing on the chalkboard is a house with a white picket fence. And then the class behind the cat drawing on the chalkboard says, Oh yes. And that's what Dr. Faustus says. And then Mm. that's it. That's, that's the entire cartoon. Uh, I I totally get it. I totally get it. it. (laughs) All right, buddy. we're, we're, We're running out of time here. What if we've got, Trends. Top yes. trends, moments. Okay. Okay. So I, I think this is how we should treat this. There are five of them. We should dispatch them relatively quickly. But okay. these are going to be our five trends of 2018 that will be our predictions about what the horror world will look like in 2019. And then love it. let's revisit it this time next year. And we'll be like, we were totally full of fucking shit. Or like we nailed that one on the head. All right. Okay. Okay. Number one, there was a big beef between Vogue and Bloody Disgusting about the year that was horror. Vogue was like, horror sucks in 2018. And Bloody Disgusting was like, fashion sucks in 2018. (laughs) It was a great, it was a great beef for us to read and to kind of minorly partake in. But my prediction is, as horror becomes even more mainstream, it's going to rub up against some of these other uh, mainstream publications, and we're going to see more of these kind of fights. I like it. I like that idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I totally hear you. I think that I think that we're we're gonna start. We're gonna see. We're gonna see more more horror in general. More, uh, more kind of higher quality horror. But here's the thing that I'm looking for in 2019, which is, it's. I think that there's gonna be. I think that if you if you look at what kind of things are gonna be big, it's gonna be the stuff that not reaches necessarily reaches out of the genre, but that reaches out of the traditional audience. Okay, so for example, I think Get Out totally reached outside of like the traditional audience for a horror film and scooped up a whole bunch of other people, right? Um, I think that I think Lovecraft Country is going to try to do the same thing. Um, there's a uh, there's a uh, uh, either a movie or TV ad- ad- adaptation of The Changeling by Victor Laval. Same thing. Okay, it's going to be reaching into other people's pockets and trying to get their viewers and you're going to see more of this uh more of this friction between uh between the horror community and some and some some other some others i think yeah I, I'll, I'll totally buy that okay yep so uh trend number two the return of fangoria will foretell the return of other older nostalgic uh genre stuff and my example is going to be Fangoria, but I'm also going to uh, talk to you about the return of the Midnight Horror Host. You know what I'm talking about? Ooh, I love, I love that idea. The uh, oh, what was her name? Uh, Elvira. Elvira. Yeah. Yeah. So right now uh, we have. Like, I don't know, tons of stuff that is kind of symptomatic of this. But we have... Exactly. So not only do we have the existence of, like, Fangoria, right, as a new thing, but we have all kinds of uh, new media that is looking to tap into this sense of nostalgia. So Shudder just signed Billy Bob Briggs to uh, a bunch of kind of midnight uh, showings of old movies, right? We, as we are growing older, right, uh, you know, kind of uh, 30-something whatevers, want that sense of what we had when we were children. So we are going to have this new evolution of things that are super into um, what we liked when we were kids. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I think another thing that Fangoria in particular is doing is they're only doing print. Isn't that right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think that's a big deal. I mean, obviously that's a big deal to them, right? Because they've decided to only do only do print, which I think that a lot of people would tell them, "Oh no, you got to do both. You got to do print and e whatever." Right? But a magazine. Uh, do you read any magazines on yeah. an e reader on your tablet? No, I don't. No, you know, I, I don't read any magazines anymore. But you know what, Fangoria? Yeah, I'll. I'll I, I, I might I might I might buy a fang, I might buy a Fangoria and they're looking to like distribute kind of old model too. I mean I think I think it's great, but it it brings us into our next one, which is the return of physical media. Yeah, we've been we've been told that physical media is dead, right? But um, but just this year, this I I, I saw this in like uh, Publishers Weekly, I think. Um, so very kind of internal kind of trade publication kind of memorandum was going around or whatever. Uh, there was a, a study that was done that predicted that um, 2018 and then into 2019 and then 2020 
there would be a uh, mild, I mean, a very slight, like three, four percent rise in traditional physical book sales and a one percent one percent decline in ebook sales. Interesting. Yeah. So. So, and not only do you have that, right? But you have this burgeoning, like, collector's market for VHS. There's a pretty significant analog market here in Kansas City. But, like, suddenly people are into collecting VHS tapes. And it is not entirely dissimilar to, like, the way people um, collect vinyl and, you know, that kind of stuff. But it is... I think 2019 is going to be the year that it's going to be really cool to like show off your VHS collection. You know, like here's the shit that I have. That's really difficult to get. And there are some other, um, like DVD and Blu-ray makers like screen factory that are, uh, that are trying to put out the same movies and that kind of stuff. But still, man, you can find a ton of stuff on VHS that you can't find on DVD. And I, I, that's pretty badass. Th- that's true. And I, I, another kind of thing that I would add to it is that the barrier to entry is kind of low, right? There are all of these old VHS players out there. You can go to uh, your your local thrift store and probably pick up one. It might not work. You might have, So just buy two because they're probably like $5 a piece, right? Yeah, if and that, then, yeah. And then, and then you can get a bunch of old VHS tapes, and then you can start kind of have some, some fun. The barrier to entry is, like, super low. It reminds me a lot of um, Grady Hendrix, Paperbacks from Hell. Yep. I mean, the coolest thing is to find these old paperbacks, these old paperback novels, um, and uh, and collect them, right? Yeah. Barrier to entry is super low. There's also uh, a, a really, really small but strong... Um, uh, collector's market for um, for uh, uh, brand new, you know, like signed limited edition hardcover type stuff. Um, I think people just really like uh, having physical media, and 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 I, I gotta I gotta admit, I'm one of those people. I'm 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 somebody that went totally digital on all the books, and now I'm slowly starting to get more and more physical books, and I love them. I just love. Having them and holding them and being able to lend them to a friend, it gives a... Having what? having them and holding them. <laughs> hey. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad I'm glad that you're into it. And I, I totally get what you're saying, that there is a sense of, like, I, I for lack of a better term, like, corporeal, like, this is mine. I can hold it, you know? I can't, I can't hold an EPUB file. You know, like, there is yeah, and there there there's a, there's a sense of authenticity that's there. Yeah, that totally. You just don't that you just don't have with a don't have with an ebook. And guess what? Amazon can't come and take it away from you. Yeah, no shit. And, and honestly, which, which, which really happened. And you know what book it happened with? With you? No, no. It, it, uh, there 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 was a book that Amazon went back and like took back from people that had bought it. Really. Yeah, and it was like it was a it was a copy of like 1984. Shut right up! Copyright. No, I swear, dude, I swear. That's that shit. That shit you can't make up. I, I can hear you click clacking along. Yeah. So here's the thing. I am way more inclined to 
review a book if I get a physical copy of it, right? So when we get a submission, I will say, hey, can you send me an EPUB uh, or a Mobi file and a hard copy delivered to this address? And it just it makes it more real. And, and it also, I think, proves that like there's a real press behind it and there is some... I don't know, some money in, you know, like some skin in the game or something. I don't know. Yeah, man. Well, and you can't, uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to steal this from, from Ellen Datlow. She's, she said this and, uh, she said, she said, you know, you send me a, 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 a an, an, an e-file and it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, sit on my computer somewhere, and it's gonna sit over here, and it's gonna maybe be in an email, and maybe I'll move it into this other folder or whatever. She's like, if you send me an actual book, I will read it because otherwise, I'll be tripping over it in my house. Yeah, you know. No, I totally buy that. Like, so my wife will be yelling at me because her dining room table is full of fucking <laughs> advanced <laughs> review copies, which is more or less the way that our uh, world is nowadays. So yeah. And the the idea that there's that like a limited edition there's there's only a certain amount that are ever going to be made that's kind of that's pretty cool too that's pretty cool too if um, if you've never checked out anything that um, that Centipede Press does they're like the pinnacle of the horror um, like elite fine press and the stuff that they make is just unbelievably good I mean oh. unbel- I mean just beautiful beautiful books all right. You got anything else on that one? Return of the physical media? I think that may be your last trend, buddy. I think uh, looking at the time and everything else that, you know, we've got, I think we've said everything we need to say. I think we have. We've said, probably said more than we need no to say. No shit. Yeah. Hey. All right. Uh, thanks uh, for our Horror Podcast community for making 2018 awesome for us. We have grown exponentially, and it's because of your uh your fellowship your you know uh, your eagerness to listen to what uh two high school teachers kind of have to say during during the night so thanks so much we hope that you continue to tune in if you would swing on down to our patreon give us a dollar or two or five or ten and uh make sure you rank us uh on itunes give us a five-star rating if you think we're you know good for that Leave us a if comment. you think we if you think we totally suck, you can give us a like a four star rating or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, we have big stuff planned uh, in the future, so hop onto that Patreon page. Be one of those first uh, folks to kind of get involved for the new year, because I think it'll pay off in the in the long run for you. So we've revamped that Patreon page and and look forward to using that as a great way to reach out to you all, our audience members. All right, so we had a great 2018. We'll see you in 2019. Class dismissed.